0: Welcome to the University of South Dakota's podcast, Credit Hour. We know the COVID-19 global health pandemic is raising all sorts of questions about the way we live. Over the next several weeks, we plan to share the perspectives of some of our faculty in fields like public health, economics, education, and more, in hopes they can shed light on this situation and the path forward. As always, thank you for listening, and go Yotes. On today's episode, we speak with Carrie Oyen, an assistant professor of school psychology about maintaining emotional and mental health during the COVID-19 crisis. Hi Carrie. how are you doing this morning?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty good. We're kind of getting used to our new normal here as we are at home doing school and I'm, I'm a professor and doing all the things at the same time. So um, I'm excited to be talking to you today.
0: Well, that's, you know, what we wanted to talk about is, is the adjustments that I think we're all having to make and the toll that that might take on our, you know, mental, emotional health. Um, You know, just initially, what do events like this do to, I guess, our mental and emotional health?
1: Uh, That was a great question. I think that, um, first of all, you have to know that um, a lot of us have different responses. And so, you know, there can be a single event and then people interpret it in a different way. Um, But by and large, when we're um, exposed to fairly significant, stressful events, you know, there are some like physical things that start to happen. You know, I think initially when you have kind of what they call acute trauma, again, you would be interpreting this event as being slightly traumatic. Um, Typically, first, what happens is you kind of go into shock. Um, You know, there's kind of a fight, flight, freeze kind of mentality is kind of the most common Um, responses that we see to stress you know little things can start to happen Um, when you're in shock it can decrease your blood pressure and even your body temperature your muscle tone and and then what kind of happens is that you get this onslaught of of neurotransmitters uh, your body starts to release them to kind of fight all this stress that happens to you and you know initially when that starts to happen it can help you cope um, it's kind of, again, it's a resistance that your body is, is exhibiting um, the problem and, and what I guess I'm glad to talk with you guys a little bit about today is when you have that for a long time, because eventually your body starts to get exhausted, you know, you can't have that initial super stressed out, then you have all those neurotransmitters at the ready, ready to fight and all of a sudden we've had to try to do that for a long time. Um, again, then you start to your body defenses start to break down. You know this is where a lot of the irritability can come um, into play and your organization and your planning starts to go south and um, even like how you're perceiving social cues um, for other people starts to uh, be impacted. So you know again, I think that it is important to know that some people that are exposed to this event are less um, impacted. You know, they actually are, talk about post-traumatic growth in that they, you know, are feeling lots of positive things, spending time with your family, you know, being able to and maybe unplug a little bit and enjoy scenery and things that you've not been able to enjoy before. So some of those things are happening too, but I do think it's it's wise and, and fair um, to be able to say for some people, this is kind of a, a big traumatic event that's been happening.
0: You, know, you, you talked about this a little bit, but I kind of analogize it, I guess, to, uh, you know, when someone passes away, they talk about like the stages of grief that mm-hmm. somebody goes to, um, you know, it, it, does a situation like this, I mean, are there stages that we will likely kind of go through as we all process this?
1: Yeah, I, I really appreciate this question. I think that when it comes to our response, I think there's a few things we have to be aware of. You know, first of all, when it comes to a a term that I like to use, like, called psychological triage, Um, but it's this idea that we kind of take a look and see how different people respond to different events. Um, Typically, there are some things that make you either more or less likely to respond to a stressful event. Part of it is physical proximity, like how close are you to that crisis event? Now, for all of us, we're getting fairly close to it physically, meaning that we're having to stay home. You know, some states are in like a shelter in place. You know, we are a little we're more at that social distancing um, level at this point. But, you know, that is fairly close to us. The other piece of it is the emotional proximity. So for some people, you know, for me, for example, I don't know a person that has COVID-19. However, it might be a different experience once I start to have friends or loved ones that have experienced it and then it also depends on how how bad it is for them. You know, some people get COVID-19 and then they recover 80% of people recover, Um, but there are some cases where um, you know they don't I think about we just received word this week that there was a teacher. Um, there was a teacher in huron um, and and she ended up passing away and it's just makes no sense and again that's that emotional proximity you know the people that surround her the people that love her and know her i think that they are going to have a different response right now um than other people and then there's also individual risk factors you know your own mental health you know if there are availability of social supports to you um, your previous experiences. Some people have experienced traumatic things before. They're more likely um, to have a harder time with traumatic experiences now. Um, again, poverty, we know poverty can be a really big risk factor, and that's about having access to resources and things like that. You know, But getting back to your question and in, in terms of stages, um, I, I do think initially we tend to have more of a kind of a fight, flight, or freeze response. And again, that can be very, very good in the short term. If you think about like those stories you see on TV where like heroes kind of step in and they drag somebody, you know, from a burning car or they lift a car off of somebody, you know, that's because people had kind of a a fighting instinct and the adrenaline started pumping and they started, you know, responding. And I think there's been a lot of cases of that in, in our media about people doing great things. What's hard is when it's prolonged. So I think that in terms of stages, what, what we really have to be aware of is this kind of stage of exhaustion for us. And, and I do wonder a little bit about it kind of going from different stages, even during the day. You know, I think there's certain parts of my day, if it's sunny out, I think I feel a little more optimistic. Um, like now we're, we're gonna get some some snow in. I think that's gonna be a little harder for people um, to be kind of hung up. So, um, so I think that's kind of, it's, it's a lot of uh, different factors at play.
0: You know, you, you kind of mentioned, I guess, maybe the short-term implications. Um, are there long-term implications that an event like this will have on, our know, like collective mental health?
1: Yeah, I think that, that a lot of us, it's a lot of mental health professionals in particular, you know, I work really hard with the National Association of School Psychologists, and we've been uh, having a lot of these conversations about, you know, what will it be like when kids go back to school? What will it be like when we kind of have to be reintegrated into kind of our quote unquote typical responses and i think that it is really important for us to know that when you have kind of that hyper arousal for a really long time um what can happen is that again you've been flooded with neurotransmitters they even talk about like kids that have experienced trauma Um, They have larger amygdalas, Um, and so amygdala is a part of your brain, and what it does is that it senses threat, and so it's the thing that kind of tells you something's not right here. And so what can happen is that if you experience and you're perceiving a fairly traumatic event, it can make it so that even if you're presented with something fairly neutral, it can be perceived by you to be a threat, And so why that's problematic is that it can make you struggle with organizing your thoughts, planning things, being really irritable with those that you love, even can affect your memory, um, your ability to hold on to information, Uh, again, social cues, your motivation. Um, And so again, I think it is really important to understand that um, some of these things can really have long-term impacts. And that's why we want to have conversations right now about ways to mitigate it.
0: Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what are some ways that right now we can process this experience in a healthy manner?
1: Yeah, I think that first of all, um, I think we have to kind of be honest with ourselves and give validation to our feelings. I think that um, what can be problematic right now, and, and I'm feeling it for myself too, is that you go on social media and you see all these people just like rising up, and they're taking these pictures. You know, they're perfectly homeschooling their children. They're perfectly making these beautiful meals, and they're just there's no problems at all as they're staying at home. And 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 I think what's problematic is that typically the pictures that we put out on social media aren't the whole story. Typically, we you know maybe we've taken four or five or twenty seven pictures, and we pick the best one, right? And and so I do worry a little bit. About um, kind of the uh, impressions that we're we're giving to ourselves, saying like, well, everybody else has this all figured out, and I'm the only one having a hard time. And I think more than anything, I want people to hear that this is a hard time, and there are some things that that I just, you know, I feel sad about. You know, I'm a professor who happens to love my students, and so it's it's sad for me to not be in Dozle. Having office hours, meeting with students about research projects, and and meeting in class face to face, and 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 talking about, you know, for example, the NCAA tournament. I have to be, happen to be a huge USD women's basketball fan, and and this is sad for me, and and, and so sad for them. I mean, it's so much more sad for them. But um, but I feel some of that grief too, and so I think the first step is honestly allowing for a space to be there, saying that this is hard. Um, However, we don't want to live there. Um, The other things I think we really need to do is we really need to respond to all this uncertainty with finding ways that we can have some more certainty in our own lives. And so, for example, it's simple things. And I know that a lot of people have have discussed some of these things on on media. But honestly, some of the best things you can do is really setting up a schedule. It can sound a little ridiculous, like I'm living by myself, and I'm going to set up a schedule. But But what it does is that it helps you establish a new routine. And so even this morning, I, you know, I got up and I kept thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm getting on a podcast. I don't have to shower. Nope. You guys wouldn't know if I'm wearing my jammies. Um, You wouldn't know (laughs) if my hair is a mess. Uh, However, we know that it's so good to get up in the morning. I started, uh, I get up in the morning. I end up calling my mom every day. I have a cup of coffee and call my mom and we chit chat about something. And then, you know, I shower up and I just get ready for the day. And having some of those things can be really important. I think having certain times that are more free time, having times that are more academic time um, to work on your schoolwork and or your work work, I think having a space to do it is really important. Even if you have a small space, having some sort of kind of designated spot um, where you're doing work can be really, really important. And then there's a lot of things about exercising and getting enough sleep <laughs> um, and eating well. I think that can be really important.
0: Well, no, I, I really identify with a lot of that. Um, you know, I'm a graduate student, and so I, I live alone. And I guess I wasn't surprised, you know, as we entered kind of the um, period of social distancing and how mm-hmm. difficult the social isolation would be. I mean, I kind of anticipated that. You know, beyond just checking in with friends, you mentioned, um, I think, a, a bunch of, really great ideas about setting a schedule and stuff like that no comment on whether or not i'm wearing my uh the camera right <laughs> um, it's unknown yeah, the status some jammy pants <laughs> um, but, i mean do you would you have any other tips for people maybe who are yeah. who are in kind of these extreme isolated situations and just mm-hmm. how can they manage this stay connected to the world without you know sometimes going on social media which Sometimes good, and also sometimes, you know, I feel like it might you yeah. know, aggravate what I'm feeling in, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing, this is just a side note to to kind of add in there, is that, you know, it's how much news we're consuming. So if you're like sitting by yourself in your house and all you're spending your whole day, you know, watching 24/7 news outlets about the uptick in you know deaths and the uptick in diagnosis, that also can have a pretty significant impact. So, you know, some of my advice really is try to monitor your news intake. So I, I do think it's good to be aware. Um, I have kind of, for myself, has have prescribed, I happen to just love the morning news. And so what I've noticed is that the national morning news and the local morning news, I've kind of picked a couple that I like that don't spend their whole time talking about COVID-19. They do talk about it, but then they also talk about other things. And so I watch a little bit of that and then I turn it off. And I think some of that can be really, really important. So I I would say that's number one, if you are certainly living by yourself. I think you bring up really good points about, you know, how to be connected at a distance. I think that it doesn't just have to be um, phone calls. Although I I think each day, if you're living by yourself, you could kind of think about one person I want to reach out to each day um, and make sure that I'm connecting with them. Uh, The other things that I've seen that I actually think are really fun and kind of corny, but cool is um, having things like um, Zoom dinners. So one of my friends yesterday, they said it was taco dinner night and they all made tacos at their house, but they all had dinner together, right? They put it on Zoom and they're all having tacos together. Um, And I know it seems dorky, like, oh, that doesn't really matter, but there is something about it that makes you feel like, well, we're having this shared experience. So I do feel a little less alone. Um, You know, I think that the other piece of it is because you might be by yourself, I think you have to be even more intentional about a schedule because there's nobody going to be there to like hold your feet to the fire about working out, for example. (laughs) Um, So I think you really, really have to be intentional about saying, you know, every day at three o'clock, I'm going to I'm going to do something in terms of exercise. You know, I'm going to really make sure that I'm eating well. I'm really going to make sure that I'm not either sleeping too much or sleeping too little. Um, so I do think some of the, those things can be really, really important. Um, but the last thing I will say is that if you are trying all these things and it's not enough, you know, if you're if you're feeling like I am doing all these things that she says and it's not making me feel any better, um, I do think that it's really important to, for everybody at USD and across the nation to know that there are people here to help. Um, at USD in particular, if you're part of Coyote Nation, we do have a counseling telehealth service. And they are more than willing to talk with you. And what's what's really cool about it is that they can talk with you at a distance. And so I do, I, I did want to say the number out loud just during this podcast, just in case that might be you and you might be feeling like this is too much. Um, the number they have is six zero five six five eight three five eight zero. And and again, these are available if you just you can even go on our uh, Google, or excuse me, our, our USD page, and you can find that number too. But um, I think it is important to understand that, that we really are all in this together, and it is a shared experience. It's really hard, um, but you don't necessarily have to do it alone, even if you are living alone.
0: No, I mean, that, that it really resonates with me, um, a lot of what you said, um, especially sure. I think about keeping a schedule. It's, it's funny, I, like I said, I'm in graduate school, and I've noticed that you know, the most difficult week I thought um, was that extended spring break week. Um, once we sort of had gotten back into school and you you know, set a little bit of a schedule, it did normalize, um, you know, my day a little bit. You know, I, one thing I, I, you know, think of is just how this crisis affects people in I guess, different ways. And so, you know, you have, I think today I saw it was like, up up to six million people um, had filed unemployment claims, yeah. and you know a lot of these people are obviously facing severe financial uncertainty. You had mentioned how poverty can be, um, you know, a severe kind of inflection point with mm-hmm. uh, mental stress. I mean, do you have any advice for individuals who are facing, I mean, real concerns, obviously, um, about you know their their financial security, but you know the effect that that obviously will have just on their emotional and mental well-being.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, what we know about poverty, and really financial stress is that it really can be quite pervasive across a lot of different domains. You know, for example, in my work, uh, I do a lot of research on, you know, the factors that kind of lead to either poor or positive outcomes for children. So I do end up spending a lot of time researching child maltreatment. And in one of my latest studies that I did, I actually took a look at South Dakota data and we were talking about the intersection between poverty and child maltreatment. And it is probably the, the biggest predictor <laughs> of child maltreatment and, and it is across the nation. Um, and, and I think that, um, again, poverty can be related to things like anxiety and depression, um, trying to navigate that space because it can feel like you don't have a lot of control. Um, I think that, you know, in particular, there are people that were kind of going about their everyday business. You know, they had a job, they were trying their best, raising their family. You know, the kids would go to school during the day, and then, you know, you could work, and then you'd pick them up, and all these kinds of things, and you kind of go in about your everyday life. Well, all of a sudden, your kids are at home, and somebody has to watch them, and you also have this space where maybe I had a job that was in the service industry, and all of a sudden now, I can't go. You know, we've, we've kind of pulled the plug. I've lost my job. Um, I think that a few things. I think, first of all, I think it's, it is good to uh, validate feelings that this is hard and this is, it doesn't feel fair. Um, there's, there's nothing that people did, um, to, to have this, to have caused this. So I think, uh, first of all, really be very careful, especially when you're thinking about how you're talking about this around your children, kind of avoiding blaming, you know, making sure that you're just, um, acknowledging here's the facts that we know, but then here's all the things that we're going to try to do. So I do think it's good, you know, to you know take those action steps to file the unemployment, to take action steps to think what are the things that I can do in my space and and what are the programs that are available to me. I do know that you know across the nation and across different communities there are emergency funds that are available for people to ensure that they can stay in their house, for example. Um, you know, really being mindful of reaching out. Again, this is more of that reaching out to let the University of South Dakota community. Or your local community and saying hey i really need some help is there any way that you might be able to help me in the short term um, those can be really positive things the other thing i will say out loud is that there are some service industries that actually are essential employees or employers and they need people um, and so you know i know that um, i happen to live with someone who i love who works in an essential uh, industry and so they need people to care for individuals with disabilities during this time. And so there are some opportunities I think out there if, if you still do need that. Um, but I also think it's good to reach out and, and kind of say, is there ways that I could have help from my community? The other piece I think about is food, food insecurity. Um, I think that first of all, it's really hard, even as someone who has enough money for food, it, I gotta tell you, it's really hard to go to the grocery store and see all those shelves empty. You know, like I went down the toilet paper aisle at Walmart and Vermilion and it's very like unsettling. <laughs> There's nothing there. Um and, and I think that, you know, just being really mindful that that we will be okay. There will be food that we can eat. Um, the other thing to think about is that if you are in a place where you really do need some additional supports, like they are doing a food Um, each day at uh, the elementary or excuse me the middle school in vermilion they do have a, a food program for children um i know the food pantry is kind of working to try to find creative ways to get people access to food so again i think first of all try to meet your basic needs second of all try to reach out to others around you and and again if it does get to be too much i also think regardless of your status regardless of your poverty level i do think it's good to get help from mental health professions um, if you feel like you need that. And there are a lot of telehealth services. So I gave you the number for USD, which is primarily for um, USD students. However, they also have telehealth services that are through things like the Child Mind Institute that's, that are for families. So if you go to the Child Mind Institute and you search telehealth, they actually have a program where they there are mental health providers across the nation that you could meet with. So those are kind of a few tips I probably have.
0: You know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I think you have people maybe who can continue to work and so their concerns might not immediately be the financial insecurity um, that they might be facing, but they're still having to manage a household. They might be (laughs) having to take care of their kids, try to you know ensure that they're continuing their studies. They're also having to plug into work meetings. Um, How much should we be acting like everything is normal and we should just be going about our daily lives How much of this is just about surviving, you know, Mm -hmm. the moment with as much sanity as we can in time?
1: So this is the camp I live in. (laughs) So um, I, of course, I'm a professor. I'm also a researcher. I also do a lot of, you know, public speaking, things like that. I also happen to be a mom of two beautiful girls. And at this point, it's, it has been, it's, it's not easy. Let's just say it out loud. You know, it, it's impossible to do all those jobs at the same time. So it's impossible to homeschool your kids and clean the house and teach a class on personality and behavior assessment and, you know, do all of these things at the same time. And so I think that's a few things. First of all, I, I do think we need to give ourselves a break, give us our, give, give ourselves a little grace to just try the best that we can. Um, Some things that I've kind of read about, I've I've been thinking a lot about is in terms of homeschool, I think, you know, it's not going to look the same as it does in the public school setting. You know, my kids go to school for, you know, seven hours a day, and that's not what it's gonna look like right now. Right now we, we average, you know, for elementary kids, they say about two hours is the top end. For middle school kids, it gets up to about three and four. And then high school kids, they can go a little longer, about five hours a day. Now they don't need as much help. Um, and so I think that you have to, again, think about your schedule. Think about setting aside times where you as the parent can be available to help your child who's doing their schoolwork, because it's really hard to do your own work and then try to help them navigate a system that they have never you know, experienced or maybe they need some instruction in. Um, and then I think the other thing is, again, um, giving yourself a little grace. If your house isn't quite as clean as it used to be, if if your work isn't getting done quite as quickly as you're used to, I think that you have to allow a space to, to be okay with that. Um, one of my friends said it it might be really good for you to like write down all the things that you want to do today and then cut that list in half and then cut it in half again. And that might be what's reasonable to get done. (laughs) And I thought that was kind of a a good piece of advice. Um, so, so again, I I think that I want to acknowledge all of those working parents right now. Um, And the other piece of it is working parents that are in school you know trying to do your assignments (laughs) while you are trying to raise kids and trying to keep them entertained Uh, that's hard and so i think trying to be creative again setting a schedule and then also i think the biggest key you have to know is that the way in which your children will remember this is how you have responded so kids are particularly in tune with adult responses and so when you see and when you when you're spending a lot of time on the news, if you are really, really elevated, then kids will also be very, very elevated. And so it, I think it's really important for adults to be reassuring to kids. I think you can be honest to say there are some things that we don't know about this. We know that it came you know, from China. We know that um, that it's spreading quite easily from people. Um, And the other thing I want you to know is that there are a lot of adults that are trying to keep you safe. And part of the way that we're staying safe is by doing social distancing. And then tell kids what they can do, you know, washing their hands, teaching them how to wash their hands, teaching them how to follow a schedule. Um, I think those can be really, really positive. And then at the end of the day, if you just feel like there's just, I just completely bombed, you know, (laughs) homeschooling and teaching and all the things, I think the best thing you can do is just snuggle your kids and say we we just gave it gave it our best try
0: (laughs) well and you may have just answered that question but i did want just with your specialty to talk about the impact that this has on children Mm -hmm. um i mean would you have any advice just and i know it is all dependent on the age level but like how do you even talk to your kids about what's going on um in a way that you know is informative but you know doesn't scare them
1: yeah and i think it's really 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 important to know that there are some things that we should do at different ages for kids. So one of the things I think it's really important to know is that, you know, when kids are in early elementary, we don't need to give them a big soliloquy of all the problems. So instead, what they really need to know is brief, simple information that gives them facts. And then the key message you want for for kids, especially that early elementary age, is that we want them to know that their homes are safe, there are adults to keep them healthy and to take care of them if they do get sick, and then giving them some power on things like, here's what you need to do to wash your hands. And and again, you always leave them with the message that adults are working very hard to keep you safe. Now, what's different is that kids get older and they get to upper elementary. It's really, it's really important to know that they'll get more vocal about asking questions. And so they might be really concerned about what will happen Or if they're really, truly safe, what happens if COVID-19 comes to my community or my family. Um, And so what you really need to do there is separate rumor from fantasy, actually talk about the things that your community is doing to prevent germs from spreading. And then again, talk to kids about what they can do in their own, you know, within their own power to prevent it from spreading. And then I think the other big thing to know is that upper middle school and high school kids, again, they have a more developed abstract thinking. They do spend more time thinking about the thoughts and feelings of other people. So, again, I think it is good to direct them to COVID-19 appropriate sources. So give them honest, accurate, factual information. You know, send them to the CDC site or send them to the South Dakota COVID site so they can see um, what can happen there is that that's how kids can feel a sense of control. Like I do have some control over this, and nobody's like hiding things from me or kind of trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Um that can be really, really powerful. So I think those are some good things to to keep in mind um, for your for your kids. I think the other thing is to just again, really be mindful of being calm and reassuring. And then also as an adult, being available. And I think it can be kind of hard because, there is a tendency like we're together all the time, you know, we're kind of like sick of being together, um, but making sure kids know that even if my door's shut or even if um, I'm taking a little break myself, I'm always here for you. And we always can talk about things that are really easy to talk about and things that are really hard. Um, I think that can be really good for kids.
0: You know, what about, I guess, college age students? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously just so much uncertainty. What advice would you offer students who might have anxiety about their future, starting a career in an environment like this? Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Um, A few things. First of all, I think that as college students, you might be most informed about how this will change the world. I just keep thinking you're learning in a time where this world is changing and we need you. So for example, I teach future school psychologists and we have a high need for mental health providers in our state and across the nation. And so what I'm really trying to do is really spend a lot of time empowering college students to know that we need you to keep going to school. You know, we need you to be out there in the workforce. There is going to be a time where we will open again. Um, it's, th- this is gonna sound really, really dorky, but um, Matthew McConaughey was on Twitter and he has a quote that says, the red light eventually turns green. I don't know why it stayed with me, probably because I love Matthew McConaughey a little bit. Um, But I I think that it was kind of a good line in that we might be in a red light right now, but it doesn't mean that when you're in that red light that you can't get ready for that light to turn green again, because it is going to turn green. You know, we will be back in DelZell teaching. I will be back in the Kyle Sports Center cheering like a maniac with the women's basketball team and the men's basketball team and And all of those things will come again, and we should be ready. And so I think as college students, understanding this might feel like a really awkward time, it's awkward to do all these Zoom classes, and it might be awkward to try to do your assignments while you're like living at home with your mom, and you're like, I'm 21, and I don't really understand how this is all working. However, I think that if we reframe it and we think about this as a time of growth, Try to learn as much as you can about the subjects that you're doing, making sure you're um, engaging with coursework, asking your professors really hard questions. We kind of like that because it makes us think. Um, that's gonna get you ready so that when it, when that light turns green, you're gonna be ready to get out there. And again, I wanna highlight that there's lots of jobs that we're gonna need even right now. So um, again, I don't think we can lose hope right now for advancing our education.
0: You know, I don't want to take up um, too much more of your time. I mean, there are obviously people who just have unsafe family situations. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there a particular danger in moments like this for children or people maybe in abusive relationships? What advice would you offer them? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate your question on this because it's something I think about all the time. Um, Again, I study child maltreatment data. And so I do know that, you know, the number one reporter is social workers the number two reporter of child maltreatment is school personnel. And, and reason being is like all kids go to school. And so right now we have all these kids that are not being kind of seen by other adults. And I am worried about that. Um, I'm worried about, you know, the, the number one type of child maltreatment is neglect. I'm worried about that for kids that are out there. So I think part of it is being really mindful. I know that our school, Uh, educators are really being mindful to make sure they reach out to all kids in making sure that they are getting the kind of basic necessities that they need um i think the other thing to be really mindful of is even when we are at a social distance i think that as a community we really do need to be vigilant you know if you do see something say something remembering that you know in terms of of making a report to child protective services anybody can now, as a psychologist, as a teacher, you are a mandated reporter. So that means if I see something, I have to say something to Child Protective Services. You know, however, I just want everyone to be empowered to know that if you do see something, certainly you can call it in. You don't need to investigate. You don't need to interview the kid. You don't need to, in fact, they don't want you to do that. Um, that's their job. And so our job is just to report what we see. And so I would encourage that if you are yourself, in a situation where you are really feeling um like there's no way out I do think that that's at that point where you need to reach out to somebody I think that finding a safe space to be and then making a call can be really important you know it just because we are in this time it doesn't mean that services like 911 are not working anymore um and so so do know those kinds of things but but it is something I think about and I do hope and 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 hopefully as community members, we can just really be super vigilant and kind of caring for and, and kind of looking out for those are, that are the most vulnerable during this time.
0: You know, the last question I have for you is, to be honest with you, probably the one that is on my mind the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, the sheer magnitude of this situation is is I think overwhelming and especially when you um, you know, read the news and you listen to, you see projections about, um, you know, the possible death toll. I mean, they're thinking that under a best case scenario, it'd be like 250,000 people in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. They pass away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you combine that with the economic, social, political, um, you know, instability that an event like this causes, it's just mm-hmm. difficult, I think, to comprehend the magnitude, especially when you know it will probably get worse before it gets better, right? I mean, right,
1: yeah.
0: How do we mentally prepare ourselves, I guess, for the next, you know, I mean, that's the thing, that's part of it, right? We don't, yeah, really we don't know. Long, but <laughs> yeah. I think for the foreseeable future and, and probably, mm-hmm. um, you know, for at least a few months, I think that that's an accurate characterization. I mean, what can yeah. we do to just prepare ourselves for this? Yeah,
1: I think that, um, first of all, I think we have to be honest with ourselves that 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 does cause some anxiety when I hear those numbers when I see those things again when I saw that. That story about that that beautiful teacher in Huron who who's 51 who died, I mean it just doesn't make any sense so first of all, I do think we have to validate our feelings about that. Um, the second thing I think it's really important for us to know is that you know I, I don't think that we can take that big bite all at once. If we tried to take that all in, it's just too much for your mental health. It'll stress you out. That's all you will be thinking about. You will not be able to move forward because it would be crippling. And so instead, I think that it is really, really important, um, first of all, to take a deep breath. I do actually think it's really important, even though I kind of think this is a little hippie-ish. And and I got to be honest with you, somebody once taught me this breathing technique and I thought, oh, that's never going to work for me. (laughs) You know, like I'm way too uh, academic for that. Um, But I remember that it was this Dr. Elaine Fletcher-Jansen, she talked to us about how sometimes you have to um, do some things to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And when you do that it can help you to calm down in real time. And so she taught us this technique of breathing in for four seconds, holding it for two seconds, and then breathing out for six seconds, and then holding it for two seconds. And you do that for a little while. And I can remember I was, uh, I was in the conference And I'm rolling my eyes because I'm, you know, I'm an academic, you know, these are not the things I'm going to be spending my time doing, but I thought I will, you know what? I could do it while she's talking. So I ended up just starting this breathing thing while she was talking to me. And all of a sudden I got to tell you, I did it for about, you know, three or four minutes. And I thought, by God, if I don't feel a notch better. And I thought, my gosh, now I'm a hippie. Now I'm a hippie and I'm just spending all this time doing the breathing. Um, But First of all, I do think that even as you just said those things to me, it made my heart kind of start racing. And I'm thinking there's all these unknowns. So I think number one, in real time, you have to find ways to calm yourself down. Um, The other thing I want you to, uh, I want everyone to kind of spend some time thinking about is let's not try to get through the next eight weeks. Let's try to get through the next hour or maybe the next five minutes, if that's too much. You know, what are things that I can do at my own house? So even though I said these things are kind of what we say to kids, I also think that we need to hear them as adults. You know, there are a lot of adults that are trying to keep us safe. And by practicing things like social distancing, by staying at home, you really are doing your part to try to prevent the spread. Um, I also think um, finding times in your day that you can spend not thinking about COVID, which can be hard. Um, I think it can be really powerful. So for, I mean, I know we already talked about this, but I've been really, um, I live out in the country. I live on the corner of gravel and gravel. I'm like made, I guess, I think I'm like made for social distancing out here. I mean, we're, we're already distant, um, but we do, do a lot of walking. And I think that that's been really, really good um, to try to manage against some of this um, anxiety. So. So I think that um, two things, again, I think that this situation is hard. I think that there are a lot of people that are grieving things that they've lost because of this. And it's not one person's fault. And I think it's okay for us to say out loud, this is hard. I wish things were different. I wish that I could just be driving downtown Vermillion and like hanging out at Dakota Brick House and having a little Bunyan's burger, you know, my fave. Um, But because we can't do that, let's think about creative ways um, that we can still be connected and together. And let's just try to get through today.
0: No, Carrie, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the advice. I really appreciate you sharing this perspective with our audience who understandably mm-hmm. is going through all of this just like we are. Um, yeah. I wonder, do you have the number one more time of the um, USD mental health services? Yeah, that you yeah could just read for our audience.
1: I would love to read that okay so again it's it's the usd telehealth counseling um and they're available all the time and so the number is 605-658-3580 and again if i can just throw another little plug in there if you are a family and and perhaps this usd connection um might not feel like the most appropriate number to call as a reminder the child Mind institute has some telehealth uh, family counseling services they're available too. Again, you would just Google that and then they can connect you um, to, a, to a mental health
0: counselor there. Um, Carrie, thank you so much for your time today. And again, just for sharing um, all this information with our audience. I'm really, really appreciate it. Oh,
1: I just really appreciate you calling me. You know what? I think that it might've helped my mental health today to speak with I, you. I think hey, it all no? mine for sure. Online <laughs>
0: online for sure. So, so, thank you again.
1: No problem at all. And, and you know what? Stay sane out there. And no matter what, I do feel really connected to the Coyote Nation. And so I think that no matter what, we got we to stay strong, Yolts, because they need us. Um, the world needs a good Coyote Nation. So stay strong. And again, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. All right. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Credit Hour. Stick with us as we continue to bring you new information and perspectives surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe, and stay home. Go Yotes.